Shakira, and you are just listening to our latest single, Endless Night, available now on all digital stores and at our website, www.fira.rocks. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at fira.rocks. This is Danny Devine, and welcome to Endless Night Radio. Vampires, paranormal, magic, and music. Please welcome Father Sebastian, impresario of the Endless Night Vampire Ball, and author of Black Veils, and his co-hostess, the lovely Joy Felicity. Greetings, Endless. This is Father Sebastian here with my co-host, Joy Felicity. And today, we are going to talk about... Wait. The Memnock Ball! Yes. And halfway to Halloween. Now, the reason why we're doing that tonight, on May 1st, is when this episode premieres is that halfway to Halloween, it's six months away, and 25 years ago, this Halloween is the greatest vampire ball that has happened so far that Endless Night is greatly inspired by, which is the Memnock and Rice Vampire Lestat Fan Club's Vampire Ball of 2000, no, 1995. 25 years ago, this Halloween. And we have two guests that were actually at the event and we're going to take Joy down that memory lane so she can envision what it was like to be at this magnificent event. I am super, super excited. Can you tell me first, Father Sebastian, what exactly is the Memnock Ball? Wow. Uh, the Memnock Ball was, I was 19, and I was at the Dark Shadows Festival in New York City in June of that year. And I had just been starting to make fangs. I was a baby fledgling fangsmith and vampire. And I had my fangs for like two years at this time. I was a fangsmith. I was working at a dental office. So I went into the Dark Shadows Convention at the Marriott Marquis. And one of my clients, a girl that worked for Roadrunner Records named Sandra was like, I, you got fangs, but I don't have anybody to go to the Anne Rice Ball with. Would you like to go? And I'm like, this is like the legendary event in vampire history. Uh, the Memnock Ball was named after Memnock the Devil, and Rice's, I believe, her fifth book in the Vampire Chronicles about Lestat finding Jesus and going to, the, to hell. And it was exactly 11 months after Interview with the Vampire premiered. So going to New Orleans for my first time, 25 years ago at 19 was mind-blowing. Like, I can't describe what this experience was like other than trying to explain it. Um, so the reason why we have our guests tonight is they have their own experiences because we're having a Memnock Ball reunion tonight and uh, our guests were actually there. And one of them I actually met for the first time at the Memnock Ball. So Memnock Ball was at St. Elizabeth's Orphanage on a Friday night before Halloween can't remember the exact date other than it was October 2000, uh, 1995. I get my decades mixed up. Um, you know, elder vampire uh, kind of game there. Um, so what happened was uh, Sandra invited me down. We got, I got there to New Orleans on a Tuesday night. I remember driving down Decatur Street from the airport and going to Coops and having alligator bits and exploring New Orleans and you know, the first time you pop your cherry and, you know, go to New Orleans is, is something that I, I, I just can't describe 
in words. I'm going to do my best. So got to Decatur Street. Then we went to the Garden District. As you've seen Interview with the Vampire, at the very end is a scene where uh, Louis watches Superman. I stayed across the street in an Airbnb-like place, a little bungalow with Sandra. We had a, a, like, everybody jumped into the hotel room. We had like six people there. And we were just like, you know, getting a ticket to this event was near impossible because you had to be a member of the fan club or a guest of Geffen Pictures or Anne Rice or had some connection. I believe there was like 7,000 people there. As far as I know, that's the biggest vampire ball that's ever happened in history. And uh, we explored New Orleans and Friday night, we got our clothes, our costumes on and we went down to the garden district and we were waiting in this mob of people that were in the best costumes I've ever seen since. And the crowd went silent. And around the corner came a horse-drawn hearse. Now, I remember and I recall that it was drawn by a black horse. Now, normally, you're only allowed to have mules because of the heat, and horses were overheat. And this horse-drawn hearse had two levels. It was like 1860s, 1870s. And these pallbearers that looked like they were out of the Adams family came up and took two of these coffins out, and the crowds dispersed in front of the gate of the St. Elizabeth's, which is an old orphanage. And it's huge. I mean, it's gigantic, it's beautiful. Ivy on the walls, you know, 19th century architecture. And they prop up one of the coffins against one of the lights on the side of the gate. You know how you have those brick walls, you know, the stone brick, I don't know if it's stone or brick. And the coffin is leaned up. And now I think it was a casket. I can't remember, because I know there's a difference between a coffin and a casket. A coffin square and a casket is like rectangular can't remember what it was, but they opened the uh, lid and out popped Anne Rice and the, the audience went batshit. Like wow. I have never seen, like I have never seen since or before energy like this. Anne Rice, our queen of the damned herself and the height of her career came out and her fans, 6,000 of them were mad and then the other coffin gets laid up against the stone pillar. And she goes, I have a surprise for you. And she now, opens the coffin. Wait, wait, Father Sebastian. I think we might have a couple special stories from some of our guests related to that second okay. visitor. Do you think we might be able to talk to one of the guests about that second well, uh let's introduce guest. our guests <laughs> okay um we have paris from florida and i know that he had a very special interaction with this guest uh paris, well, it happened can you tell us sorry paris can you tell us your experience um well i don't want to bury the lead in uh, what Sebastian was trying to, to say, but uh, essentially, um, Kirsten Dunst came out of the coffin. And who is Literally. Kirsten and figuratively. Dunst? 
who is Kirsten Dunst for some of our newer vampires that may not know who that is? So she played Claudia in Interview with a Vampire. There we um, go. The, the child vampire that you love to hate um, and hate to love. The, and uh, she was fantastic. She was about, I want to say she was about maybe 14 at the time, something like that. I can't remember if her dress was green or blue. I want to say it was blue. It was the dress um, she died in and was, caught in the... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, you know, um, so yeah, that uh, that's who came out. I did have a special interaction with her in the sense that um, uh, my costume and makeup creeped her out, like unnerved her in a kind of way, um, which is ironic considering she's in the bloody movie uh, with, you know, Stan Winston doing the effects of that movie. Why, why do you think that was? How were you dressed that night? Uh, either my, either it was really good or really bad. Um, thinking back, I was in, God, what I was wearing back then. Uh, I was in the frilly shirt purchased from International Mail, the puffy shirt that you see on Seinfeld, that's what I was in, um, which I altered to look more authentic. Uh, I was in a crushed green velvet vest, also purchased from International Mail, um, and black slacks, but I had done really heavy, heavy um, white makeup, like makeup, powdered makeup again, powdered, I did the veins. I had really expensive, expensive for that time. Even now, contact lenses custom made for me, which was a little stat, bright blue, um, really them? ornate lenses. I got them from a company called uh, Custom Color Contacts, um, which were hand painted for me and, and uh, cost, this is 1995, so they were $450 um, back then. They were extremely expensive and I had to go to uh, an eye doctor in Miami. Ironically, my doctor's, doctor's name was David L. Roth. <laughs> um, that's that no joke. When I saw his business card, I was like, "Is he moonlighting?" Um, but uh, got got my eye, got my you know K readings and everything, and sent them off. And this is all done mail order. You had to send a, a money order to get the contact lenses, not a check, a money order, and then just you know hope for the best basically and eventually they came and uh, they were near perfect one of them was a little different than the other I sent them back they adjusted it and um, I actually ended up at the Memnock Vault by accident because um, I was kind of a tag-along crashing the party with some friends and uh, but that was yeah that was my experience with her as I got up and I'm just like ear to ear smile I'm like hello Mrs. Rice and she's like oh, call me Anne I'm like I and you know, I was just, I'm 18 years old at the time, just going on 19 in just a few months, wearing the first pair of fangs that I ever, ever made. Um, what did Anne Rice say to you, Paris? Oh, God. Oh, she what said, she, she, took, she like? took her hand, both hands and one in my hand said, you are listening And I was just like, <laughs> you know, and, um, I was un, uh, I was, I was not fit to live with after that for the entire weekend. My friends were like, oh God, he's never going to go. He's never going to shut up about that. Um, and, but when she said that, Kristen Dunst is there like this. Oh no. <laughs> like that was, that was really the reaction was this. It was like leaning back as far away was as possible. Because she thought Tom Cruise was the stat and she didn't read the book. 
she was scared. I don't know I mean I didn't I, I you know I part of what I did I did a lot of the makeup you know kind of inspired by that movie but I was also I'm not Tom Cruise so I kind of went a little bit also book because I hadn't read the book until I saw that movie and I immediately went to the vampire with stat right after that and I kind of was inspired and hair down to my waist at the time and uh, my hair was pulled back and in weird ways and I crimped it so it was kind of like semi-curly hanging down a little bit in my face and um, I had gotten riding boots online tucked my slacks into right into knee-high riding boots because I couldn't find breeches it was such a, a Hard. <laughs> MacGyver of a costume it could have uh, also been that she wasn't used to seeing such amazing looking people that were vampires. It was not. Instead, oh, she was, she was, she was used definitely. to people that were regular people that changed into yeah. vampires. Here I mean, she, she was in the flesh. Yeah, she was 14 years old at the time. And I mean, she's used to Hollywood, but right. at the same but to be fair, there were a lot of people there dressed way better than me. Um, the costumes the, were the impressive. Co yeah, the costumes, some of the people's makeup that I saw were just out of out of the box, even by today's standards. Really, really intense. Um, hey, Paris. One particular, yeah. Do you remember when we walked up to the carriage that they were they both got in after they came out of the coffins? Um, the white wigs. I remember the people trailing them at white wigs. That they was greeted every single person that came through that gate. <coughs> And That's I, beautiful. I was kind of oblivious to it, but yeah, I, I, I kind of remember that. It's been, I mean, it's 20, what, 25 years? 25 years ago, October 28th was the date. Was. Uh, we have another guest today, uh, Alex Savage, Lady S, Lady A, excuse Lady me, a. Um, from Chicago. So we are hitting all the corners here. Um, Alex, can you please tell us your experience with the Mednock Ball? Well, um, my experience was more on the inside because I was actually working for the Anne Rice fan club and living in New Orleans uh -huh. at the time. So I was on staff at the Mednock Ball. Wow. So, yeah, I was working there at the time. <coughs> I lived about two blocks away from the St. Elizabeth's Orphanage. And um, the building itself was about 43,000 square feet. So it was massive. And yeah, it had sure. inside of it an actual Catholic church, not just a little chapel, a legit church inside of the orphanage. And the fan club headquarters was on the third floor of that building. So I was very familiar with the building. We would go there all the time, like every week for the fan club meetings, um, organizing book signings, uh, doing newsletters, organizing the parties and everything like that. So. Yeah, the Memnock Ball was, we had been doing the parties for a while. Um, I think they started in like 1988 and I became involved in 1990. So the Memnock Ball was the biggest. And like uh, Sebastian said, there was rumored to be between five to 7,000 people there. Wow. And that wasn't the amount of tickets that we sold. A lot of people Woodstocked it, <laughs> rushed the back of the property, came in on the property. Um, so at one point when I was dealing with registration, I had to go into the back of the property and literally, you know, watch guard <coughs> to see if people were coming in because they weren't hopping the, they were hopping gates, they were hopping fences, they were coming in the back of the property, wow. spilling in like Woodstock. So it became this huge, you know, 
massive mayhem of a situation. And um, even at one point, Courtney Love tried to get in and they told her she didn't have a ticket so she couldn't get in. Wow. <laughs> yeah, she found her stars later in a bar that night. And uh, yeah, some of us scraped her off the floor, but um, she was really upset. <laughs> there were Thank lots you. of different people coming in. And yeah, it was, the thing about that ball that made it so, special was that um, Anne Rice put in about $150,000 of her own money into that ball. All the previous balls that we did were, you know, basically run by the profits of the ticket sales. And then we would take that money and put it towards the next party, the next party. And it was nonprofit completely. This was the first year that Anne Rice actually put in her own money and hired actors, hired dancers, hired several different bands to work in different places in the ball. Um, you could go get like ballroom dancing. She hired a beta brewery to do a special beer called Ice Cold Victim. She had a special like red wine, you know, that was all vampire themed. So everything was very, very specific to her specifications and the way that she wanted to present this huge event to her fans and the world. So that's kind of what made it very special was she literally put her own money in there, put her own ideas. She hired an event planner and completely just no, you know, spared no expense, making it the most amazing event she could. So yeah, That's it was so exciting. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Alex. Um, we here at Endless Night, Sebastian and I are so excited to be in the same city that the Memnock Ball was. That's one of our biggest vampire balls. We can only hope to have that kind of um, reaction from people 20 years later. Mm -hmm. And we're so grateful to have both of you on the show today. Um, we're excited that we have been able to connect with you through Endless Night, another vampire ball that's done by Father Sebastian. And mm -hmm. we have those all over the world. We're getting so excited to start those back up again, hopefully in the fall. Yes. If everybody stays healthy <laughs> and we find a vaccine and we're getting ready to get started with that. If not, live videos look like they're the way to go for a while. Uh, Sebastian, would you, you like to... Yeah. I think also you guys are kind of selling yourself short a little bit because... I've been involved in the vampire scene and I have lived in New Orleans <coughs> since like, you know, 1990. And if anybody has captured that essence or been able to do anything even similar to Memnock, it has been Endless Night that has really, you, you know, cracked That's the beautiful. idea of it open and used that as uh, an experience and an inspiration and, and have really kept that opulence and that, um, you know, class and style of Memnock Ball. And it's, you know, Memnock's always going to be revered because it was, it was a one-off. It was crazy. It was insane. And, you know, it was like, you have a millionaire putting a lot of expense towards it and you have all these people there. But um, it's kind of like, for a long time after that, even being involved in the fan club and working with them, it's like, we were always chasing the dragon. We were always trying to get that Memnock ball back, always trying to do it again and again. And you just couldn't because you didn't have those kind of resources. But I think if anybody's gotten anywhere close to it, it's always been in this night. Because I've worked, you know, Sebastian knows I've worked in tandem with the Unrise Vampirist fan club as an ambassador and a liaison between Endless Night when they were coming down to New Orleans for the first time, trying to bridge those two parties and give kind of a weekend experience. And they're always kind of seen this little faction between both of the parties. And we just wanted it to be the one big, you know, amazing experience. And it's like where some had faltered off and been kind of like, oh, let's just keep it like this. 
Endless Night always wanted to do something different, push the envelope, make it better, make it grander, make it more inclusive to people who are actually, you know, kind of in it, not just as a lifestyle, but as, you know, an aesthetic and a, a way of their own being. So, you know, I think you guys have done a really excellent job as somebody who's been there since the very beginning of this and my husband, um, even before I was, he actually played Lestat at Anne Rice's house in 1988. Wow. Wow. That's how I became involved. I went to the, the third one and he's, he's been to like the original first one and had done, um, you know, design and everything for the Anne Rice Fan Post Fan Club. And now he is the brand and marketing designer for Endless Night. So it's kind of like this huge legacy that came way before I even met Sebastian. And I met him for like five hot seconds at Endless Night. And he was looking real fly, looking real good. And he- You know, that's where we met. Yeah, yeah. You had a pretty lady and I'm like, and I had heard about you. The funny thing was, I had heard about you already. Your reputation preceded you before you even came down there. And then it was, you were pointed out to me. It's like, that's Sebastian. I was like, oh, really? <laughs> so it became like, oh, so you're Sebastian. You're like, yeah. <laughs> you, were, you were, you were really young and super cute. You were very nice. And we talked for all, all of five minutes. And, you know, there were so many people there. There was, it was overwhelming. Was, it was a very overwhelming. When we get back after yeah. the break, let's talk about our best experiences in New Orleans that weekend. Oh my. Um, we, we, so let's, let's think about it and meditate, it, uh, meditate about it. Um, I'm really excited to be able to share this with Joy because you know, I was 19 when I got there. Mm -hmm. at I was like and 21. Now I'm talking to all these new vampires that are coming out that are hearing this podcast and they, they have no idea. And Chasing the Dragon, was um, one of the things that I, I can see yeah. because I want that experience. But I got to realize that the reason why we do Endless Night is because we want to contribute to the diversity of New Orleans. Exactly. On Halloween weekend. And, and I think you've achieved that like massively, I, you know, um, from having all that experience and been, been to different balls and parties and cotillions and anything that anybody could name a vampire ball that they were trying to bring down in New Orleans. And, you know, the reason why I started working with you is because you got it you had it you understood that and you kept it there and elevated it every single time that you could every single year it elevates it gets different it gets better it gets more inclusive more people start coming literally out of the coffin and you've made it accessible <laughs> made it accessible and you know and, sorry yeah, paris yeah, paris, yeah. paris just okay. loves that it really wasn't before you have to understand we're like gonna take a, a we're gonna take a quick break yeah, go and uh we'll be right back <laughs> Oh, I want. 
welcome back guys we are here on endless night radio and we are so excited to have you listening in today we are practicing our safety and distance on podcasting today and we are just so happy that we're able to have this kind of technology to be able to share our stories with you from across the united states and beyond to the world uh, we are talking about the Memnock Ball today. It's going to be the 25th anniversary on Friday. And we are so excited to have a couple of guests that were actually present during Anne Rice's Memnock Ball. Uh, Father Sebastian, would you like to uh, tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. The Memnock Ball was the center of the weekend and the apex of vampire history in regards to the collection of, you know, it was a year after Interview with the Vampire came out. And Anne Rice is how my mother got me into, into uh, vampires. She told me Tom Cruise was losing weight to act in a movie called Interview with the Vampire. And I, she gave me the book when I was 14. And this is five years before the movie started. I, I don't know how long the movie was in production. But um, the, I have the poster in my house uh, on on my wall of the original poster of the interview with the vampire. Now, one of the things that I would love to bring up is that there was a lot of controversy around this movie because Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise, okay? And, he, and, and Tom Cruise is like five six, five seven, and Lestat is six foot three, French guy, and you get a like this rock and roll like you know, jet pilot actor, and even <laughs> Anne Rice at first was like, I'm not gonna have it. She was protesting the, the uh, uh, Tom Cruise playing, I didn't know anything about Lestat. So when Tom Cruise finally hit the nail in, in the coffin and got the role, he didn't do so bad. But a lot of people think that Tom Cruise, little Tom Cruise, is tall Lestat. Yeah, angles. What's that? Camera angles. <laughs> Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. It's how Instagram models get famous. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Everybody thought that it was going to be flip, like that Tom Cruise was going to play Louis and then Brad Pitt was going to play Lestat in the beginning. That's kind of what everybody oh, wow. thought in the beginning. And it didn't happen. And when Anne realized that that's not what it was going to be, I remember she actually put out in the newsletter this um, big statement lambasting the movie, lambasting the, ca the casting choices, and basically was putting out a lot of bad press about the movie before it even hit. Controversy! She was basically told, uh, probably from the studios, to zip it, and then she, after she got a screener of the movie, watched it privately, and then recanted her entire address. But I remember for a long time, I had the original newsletter with her statement in it. And it was like three pages of her review. She is a writer. Pissed, just being pissed that, sorry about my language, but just being really upset about the casting choices. And she was not happy at all about it. What actors throughout history would represent Lestat? Paris and Alex? Throughout hmm. history? Mm. Yeah, like who would, who would really be Lestat in our, in our eyes? You According to her, I mean, she, she fashioned Lestat after a young Rutger Hauer. That was okay. one of her main inspirations. Was yeah. from in the, yeah, yeah, in the in the um, in the graphic novel, Thank Vampire you. Lestat, 
Mm-hmm. It was it was drawn. A lot of the pictures were drawn, looking like Rucker just Howard. like him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just the like Rucker him. Howard um, Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have my I have my pick. Um, my pick is a little obscure as to who I'd want him to play to play him, and that'd be Joe Anderson. Um, okay. You'd know you'd know him from uh, Across the Universe. Okay. He played uh, the brother of uh, uh, the sister. Um, and right. he also he was also in Twilight very briefly. Um, yeah, he was. He played he played Kurt Cobain in a biopic. Uh-huh. Uh, he lost a ton of weight. He was all like like this, but he's an he's an amazing actor, and that would be my choice. Plus, he could sing. So you've got the old school of stat, and then you've got the rock star right, right, stat, right, right. and which is a hard dichotomy to to kind of navigate. Um, I love the Tom Cruise portrayal. I've always thought that you know I always told people, I'm like, remember that's Louis' vision of what was that was and then you see tom cruise though in God, i can't remember the movie where he was like a big rock star it was that um rock of ages rock of ages oh and wow I thought, and and somebody did a cover with his character but looking like lestat and i was like oh, wow. that's brilliant wow and uh you know and i, I thought i'm like that's that's that was definitely rock star lestat who's the Just actor in complete- Who's the actor that played the devil or the Prince of Darkness in American Horror Story? Oh, I can't remember his name. He'd be brilliant. Yeah. Um, that, to me, is the stat. Yeah. Uh, we were, like, back in the day, we were really wanting Sebastian Bach from Skid Row to play the stat. Yeah. Oh, wow. That guy's sick, sick. Yeah. <laughs> Alex, who would you like to see as the stat? I don't know, like past or present. <laughs> difficult to say oh my you goodness can choose past or present it's up to you <sighs> jeez like who would make a good stat now uh, huh. I, that's hard i don't you know that's really difficult i don't I'm kind of know. up there with i'm kind of up there with sebastian uh with with that particular actor his name yeah, is, yeah uh, I, I think he'd, yeah he'd be a decent him and the guy who, before the end of the show I, i'm i'm working on it <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Him and the uh, actor who played the Flash recently in Justice League would be a great Louis, um, in my opinion. We, we I've talked about that for a long time. That actor that played that was an American Horror Story is interesting because he goes back and forth between like this seventeen-year-old innocent kid and then this dark, mature, old-world kind of character. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it, it, I I kind of agree. I agree vehemently with Sebastian on that one. Did you ever see Julian Sands? Julian Sands was- Warlock. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. He, to me, when I was growing up, was Lestat. Yeah. The gentleman you're looking for, by the way, is Cody yeah. Fern. Cody Fern. Thank you, Cody Sean. Fern. Now, we are here today because this special ball was held in New Orleans. And New Orleans is said to be the vampire city. It's a very special place. Anne Rice selected it for a reason. And I think that all three of you had some very special experiences that weekend. Um, Alex, would you like to tell us a little bit about your weekend while you were in New Orleans mm-hmm. 25 uh, years ago? Yeah, 20, wow, yeah. <laughs> I feel so old. No. Uh, no, I lived there. So, you know, it was... It was special in a way because, um, you know, after the ball, there were, you know, everybody kind of like went out together and everything and in costume. And it was, 
even knew at that point uh, with the whole uh, vampire idea to be kind of taking over the city of New Orleans. And that's kind of what happened. And that happened, you know, it, it kind of started, the earlier parties were smaller. There were maybe a few hundred people at best. But the Memnock Ball kind of tipped the scales in a way where when it was over, literally all of these people who are in like these amazing costumes are like, well, we're not going to go home because that's not <laughs> what you do in New Orleans. So everybody literally hit the streets of New Orleans and it changed the idea of what Halloween was in New Orleans. It was okay to be a vampire. It was okay to walk around in mass droves of numbers of people in vampire costumes, just literally taking over the entire streets of the French Quarter. And um, that was the first time I ever saw it that saturated where we created our own party, our own complete takeover of the French Quarter. And, you know, kind of after that party, it became something you had to do under your belt. Like, okay, you're going out to the ball, but you have to go out afterwards. A lot of people would literally leave the ball early just to go out into the French Quarter in costume and walk around. And mind you, you have to understand that back then, it wasn't that for the locals and everybody that lived there, it wasn't that cool. I mean, it could be quite dangerous to walk around with a pair of fangs. There were a lot of gutter punks and other people that lived around there who were very superstitious and didn't like that sort of thing. So you really had to have safety in numbers when you went out with your friends. Um, and the Memnock Ball was no different. And there were a couple of people that I knew that had been assaulted for literally walking around wearing fangs in oh, wow. New Orleans that weren't, you know, didn't have enough people around them and people were very superstitious and didn't like what was happening. Like a lot of locals didn't like that there was this dark satanic kind of, you know, vampire thing coming in because it is a very Catholic very superstitious town. town. So, yeah, very, very superstitious Catholic. Very New Orleans lost mm -hmm. its major virginity to vampires that week. Yeah, they, they did, you know, and you had a lot of, uh, you know, um, vampire masquerade, like uh, role players coming down uh, probably a, a year or two before Memdoc Ball, but it got more saturated after that where people would literally use the French Quarter as a, a game board, you know, on, the whole On that note, Alex, I'd like to introduce Paris's story. He is going to piggyback right on that. That same weekend, Paris came to <coughs> New Orleans for the Memnock Ball, but also was surprised to find what? So I was really just tagging along with friends, and a friend had an extra ticket. That's how I ended up at the ball. Um, I didn't jump a fence, so there's <laughs> that. Um, nor did I end up on the floor with Courtney Love. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, so I had, I had been playing Vampire Masquerade for maybe two months and before LARP ever really was a Which thing, people man. just decided to do it. Yeah. Uh, at the time Which it was clan? Gangle. At the time it was Gangle. Um, what? <laughs> Wait, no! I thought you were the Toridor forever. I was a Toridor. I am now. I am okay. now. Okay. Make now. me feel I better. In, you found your way. I, I, I grew up through the soil. Um, but, uh. So at the time, I had heard somebody at the ball said, hey, you know, you should really check out this game that we got going in town, yeah. Vampire Masquerade. And I was like, I'm totally in. And they were like, I'm, you know, and uh, they said, this is where we play, meet here. And so I met there, met a bunch of people, and then people just fanned out. I remember ending up in, at one point, somebody had said, hey, you need to go talk to the Nosferatu. And they were down and over in Trimming. Ah. So I took a cab by myself 
to Treme. Sydney had never been in it at the time. Ended up un, ended up like being left off out under an overpass. I know what that know, is. Like, and and people and people like people in full Nosferatu like makeup and everything, ears, bald cap, brow, crawling down. And they're like, you know, at one point they're like, you know, you're in the wrong place, young one. You should go there back. And I was like, okay. <laughs> John. I felt so immersed. You know, one thing that I, I really share with you is that Vampire the Masquerade was LARPing was just two or three years old and nobody knew what it was. There was no media about it. So we no. could actually use the masquerade as a masquerade. That's, that's kind of how it was. This was before all the LARPing books came out. So it was, everybody was just kind of flying by the seat of their pants. And, um, but they were so into the aesthetic. And I remember, uh, like Lady Ace said, is that I remember walking around after the ball with my friends and kind of playing bodyguard in a lot of ways because I'm 6'2", and a lot of my friends are like 5'6", five, 5'7", five, and uh, people were not very friendly. Yeah. um about that they were like what are you trying to be and uh you know my reaction is don't worry about it we're trying to be and and right. you know kind of doing like the a little red gay stare Indiana, you know and people got <laughs> yeah yeah it really was like that and uh but the, the vampire masquerade experience i can honestly say i've never seen anything like it since um mm -hmm. to the point where i felt like Am I playing a game <laughs> or have I crossed over <laughs> into the real deal and I'm about to get eaten? Um, so I literally said, okay, bye. And I got a cab and I went back to my motel and I told my friends about it and they thought I was crazy. Um, but you were. <laughs> they were like, I can't believe, they were like, I can't believe your tall white boy butt went all the way down over to Treme by yourself. <laughs> went to the Treme. You're out of your mind. <laughs> You you crazy fool! You know was basically the reaction, uh -huh. um, and I paraphrase that because I'm not cursing, but uh, right. you know that that's that's what went down. And I haven't been back to New Orleans since then, actually, uh -huh. and I'm really longing to visit again. Well, there was Sebastian. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Alex. I just wanted to say, like, uh, during that time where he was talking about like uh, people LARPing in the city and everything like that. I mean. It, it was very sketchy and very dangerous and you yeah. know one party to another to another and then i remember very specifically people disappearing in new orleans <laughs> who were larping and everything like that who were just into the aesthetic because you know like i said 95 was kind of like the pinnacle of it but it did kind of trickle in slowly a couple of years prior to that and during that time period between 93 and 97 there were people that legit just disappeared i remember you know, seeing that on the news there were there seeing were the that news and i was like, like uh, i was just there there were the news stories like uh uh was that 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 um journalist from new york who came down you know that something <laughs> happened to her but i mean we were talking about local people that were just in the scene they were in the vampire scene larping and you would see them all the time like at the clubs and every one day they were gone and all of a sudden they were just gone poof like kaiser soze just poof gone well you know and what was interesting around and you would get nothing but subterfuge you would get like people just i don't want to talk about it. it it got really scary there for a little while they One were embraced. interesting things that was really <laughs> bizarre was that people that never read the rule books were playing like the gutter punks were nosferatu 
and Gangrel yeah. and yeah, City Gangrel, Gangrel. Yeah. and they took it seriously. Like you walk down the street and you're a Ventru or a Toreador, okay? There was no Camarilla. There was yeah, no Scott. Yeah. There was just like the the and there was a woman that lived in New Orleans that like got all the gutter punks to work for her. Her late name was Lady Kim. I remember and her. Yeah. Two years later, when we came down to throw the first Endless Night in 1998, she made us give 20 tickets to the gutter punks. And we were sitting in the Omni Royal Hotel having a banquet with wow. 20 gutter punks eating four-starred meals with their dogs under the table as her personal body. And you know why they have their dogs? What's that? They have dogs. Uh, the gutter punks have dogs because in order to arrest a gutter punk, they have to call in animal control to take the dogs and it takes long for the animal control to respond. So they know that if they have dogs for a lot of reasons, they can't get arrested because they have to deal with the animals. Well, I got a bunch of stories to share after the break and I really, really have some stuff to share that is going to blow your mind. Blow my mind. And um, thank you for your stories, guys. It's been really cool. And so like, New Orleans, we were all losing our New Orleans virginity that year. Maybe y'all were. <laughs> well, we were, me and, me and Paris. But it, it's it, just going down memory lane is an epic experience. Yeah, it was an amazing experience. And it's still to me, you know, been, being in it for as long as I have, it is still that amazing pinnacle memory event. It just, it was. Yeah, it was unlike anything I've seen or I've seen since. But like I said to Joy and to you before, I mean, if anybody could get close to it, it has been Endless Night in my experience. Let's so. talk about the differences between Endless Night and the Anne Rice event after, after the, the break. break. Yeah. It's in the And welcome to the Endless Night Radio Show. I am here with EJ's. Want to introduce yourself, guys? I'm Matt V. Christ. I'm Eric Angel. These are the two resident DJs for all Endless Night events. The men behind the magic, if you will. So I have a few questions for you guys. Um, so I guess the first one is... Uh, so what do you usually start with when preparing a set for Endless Night? Um, you know, how do you choose what you're going to play? What do you think about? Um, Angel, do you want to go first? Um, I never really have a plan. Um, usually there's, you know, uh, like a, a sort of a theme to the event, and maybe there might be like one or two songs I have in mind. 
you know, I, I make a, I made a playlist last year on Spotify for the event itself with kind of like themed music. Want to throw some of that stuff in. But in general, I usually let the crowd dictate what music I'm going to play that night. Um, you know, you, you never know uh, what's what's going to really uh, resonate with the with the current that evening. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, as long as you go in with an open mind and I kind of have like, you know, usually there's one or two songs I know I want to play. But uh, usually it's uh, it's kind of uh, on the spot. OK, cool. So you'll have kind yeah. of a few things you want to play, but then you kind of feel it out as you go along. Awesome. Matt, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's what you have to do. Because I I, I've known DJs that plan their entire set. And um, even if it's not working, people aren't responding to it. They don't deviate. They just keep going with that planned set. And it's just, it leads to a dead dance floor. You have to be able to react to what the people are reacting to. Absolutely. And, you know, adapt. And um, I mean, again, yeah, there are also songs that I might want to work in. Um, I know like be good for the uh, theme, but sometimes I don't get to because I'll be like, oh, okay, well, this isn't working. So I don't even get to go that way. I mean, the most planning I would do is if like, if I know like I have to do an opening set, I'd be like, okay, so I want to plan to do some chill stuff to start out because people are just trickling in. They're not really ready to dance yet. They're just getting their drinks and talking to people. Yeah, that makes sense. Just kind of like ease them into it. Yeah, like uh, people sometimes have asked me like um, when they were starting DJing, um, you know, uh, for advice. And the first thing I always tell them is don't plan your whole set because you have to adapt. Absolutely. That makes sense. Yeah. Awesome. So I think uh, it sounds like you both kind of make sure to feel it out throughout the evening and pay attention to the crowd. Yes, definitely. I mean, you're feeding off the crowd and they're feeding off of you. It's very symbiotic. Yeah. Or vampiric, as the case may be. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I was going for a Venom reference, but yeah. Yeah, whatever. Um, so, okay, so what is your, what for each of you, what's your favorite song that you never play? Like, name a song that you love that you just, you never get to play because it's just never been right, or it's totally out of the genre. I want to get some, like, scope about what else you guys listen to. Like Freebird, yeah. <laughs> That's not really one though. I I have gotten a request for Freebird though. You have. People, just yell People don't. They don't care. They don't. It doesn't matter where it is. somebody just Freebird somewhere. Yeah. Oh, well, that's the thing. You shout Freebird, right? Yeah. I think there was a meme once that said, "Um, Bella Lugosi is the goth Freebird." Okay. Speaking of songs that I would like to play but never do. Bell Lugosi's Dead, the Bauhaus <laughs> version, is one of those songs because it is just way too long and yeah. a little usually too slow when you would want to play it. And so I just never, ever have actually played that song. It's a good one. I got to see, uh, I got to see Bauhaus at the Palladium when they were here. That was pretty epic, and they did play that. It's pretty great. I, I have tickets to see them in June, but I don't know what's happening oh. with that right well, now. Heartbreaking. Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, I mean, everything I had planned for June has been canceled, so. Well, they moved um, the uh, Salem event from May to June. Okay. So, I mean, hopefully that's, it's okay by June for them to still do that. Hopefully. We'll see the way. I mean, we're, we're, like we're planning on going up to that as well. Yeah. It does look like it's going that way, so we'll, we'll all keep our fingers crossed. So, so Matt, was yours really free bird? <laughs> 
no, 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 no. Okay. I don't even have Freebird on my thing. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Can I say Scarlet Dress? <laughs> you have played that though. I, I never played at a main event because it's also, I'll admit, it's very slow. Uh, and I, I have played it for you at a main event though. <laughs> you did? When? More than once. I have it. Which, um, at an endless night? Yeah. Okay. I don't, well, thank you. I don't recall that. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in that case, was, in case that you don't know, Fira, that's, that's his song. Okay. I, I played it for her last year. Like when we were in the, um, in the, um, what was it? The, in the, during the uh, daytime thing in the parish. Okay. Right on. So you did play, so that doesn't count then. I know, I said I never played at a main event. I played it at like the side okay. stuff. All right. Well, it counts then. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's not a like strict, you know, hat, you know so. <laughs> it won't stop me from getting my unemployment. Uh, right. <laughs> um, okay, so my last question is, um, will each of you just like share with us a memorable moment that you have from any Endless Night event, main event, side event, just the first, you know, favorite? For some reason, the first, I don't know if I would call it, it's not, a, not at all a favorite, but the first thing that popped into my mind was the time I lifted Eric into a ceiling fan. <laughs> oh, <What>? God. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> There is there there is a, a picture in the world of me showing my fist to a ceiling fan, and it's because Matt lifted me into it, like and lift, I like just stand yeah. lifted you up. He lifted me up off the ground, as like a you know we were just joking around, and okay. um, it was the low ceilings in the Buddha Garden, and there's a ceiling fan there, and my head went right into the spinning oh, ceiling no. fan and broke it. Yeah, you broke the fan. Yeah, his head didn't break. Just Ceiling fan. Yeah. That's good. We'd rather have the ceiling fan broken than your head. Yeah. But funny story, those all of the ceiling fans have been replaced with ceiling fans that are higher up. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, uh, the following year, I called I ahead. Why. <laughs> yeah. I, call, I called ahead and made some arrangements so that wouldn't happen again. Okay. <laughs> You're like, we can't, we can't have those fans this year. It's yeah. No, it's, just, it's not going to work for me. Eric's too tall, and I like to lift people too much. <laughs> right? I mean, it's just, well, that's very nice of them. They were willing, willing to make accommodation for that. <laughs> oh, um, Eric, what about you? Um, I would say that what, um, for me, it's every year. Um, it's that first time when everybody walks in and everybody is dressed so immaculately yeah. that, um, yeah. you know, that's that's the part where you really realize that you're not at a just a normal club night event you yeah. know uh, yeah. the amount of like effort that people make when you have to show up as the count from sesame street yeah <laughs> <laughs> which actually happened so <laughs> that that is true that has happened but it but in by and large the the level of of costume is on another scale i would say uh, during, that during an endless favorite. night event that's my favorite part about it as well is uh, just getting to see the elaborate, just some of the elaborate things that people put together. You know, it's kind yeah. of uh, it's kind of awe-inspiring, especially when you're standing up on stage and you can really see everybody like in this sea of like everywhere you look, there's something epic to look at. I hear you. I mean that that is the brand that it's like, selling is the um. Is the uh, glamour? It's magic. Absolutely, mm -hmm. magic. 
magical indeed. All right, guys. Well, thanks. Um, this has been the little music section with me, Fira. Um, you can check me out at fira.rocks on Facebook or on Instagram. Again, this is Endless Night Radio. And a big thank you to Matt and Angel for, for appearing with us today. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Welcome back, guys. We're so thankful to have you here with <laughs> us again for a whole entire hour you've spent with the Endless Night crew and the Vampire Club. Um, we are so happy to have two guests with us today that were present for the Anne Rice uh, Memnock Ball. And we are all practicing social distancing across the United States, safe and healthy. And uh, we are going to just give them a couple seconds to tell us where we can find them if they want followers. Um, Alex, where can we find you on social media? I'm on Instagram at a underscore savage underscore poet or sinistervisions.com. Uh, we do the logo branding for Endless Night. So if you need anything dark and designy, that's where you can find us. And they're very Thank professional you so and much. Yes. Thank you very much, Lady A. We appreciate you. And Paris, you are in Florida joining us today. Uh, where can we find you on social media? Uh, you can find me at Theater of Vamp, all one word, on Instagram. Um, that's where I post most of my, pretty much all of my selfie addiction. Um, <laughs> and weird little song things that I post just to cheer people up. Definitely a Toreador. Thank you, Paris. And uh, <laughs> Father Sebastian, can you give us a couple of advertisements? Yes. Um, I want to thank our, our sponsors, uh, <laughs> Vamp Fangs. Um, you can find them at vampfangs.com. We also have the official Endless Night website, which can be found at endlessnight.com. Uh, our online store is just launched. It's called the Endless Night Vamporium.shop. And you can get fangs, uh, you can get Endless Night t-shirts. Um, we're going to put up all the Endless Night t-shirts from across the years that you can get. Uh, custom printed t-shirts, uh, mugs, all that jazz. Um, if you support the Vamporium now, you're supporting Endless Night and our movement because we're currently in quarantine and we don't know when we're going to have our next event, but we're gunning for New Orleans as of now. Halloween, October 31st at the House of Blues is still on. The city's mayor has uh, shut down all the big festivals, but we're not a big 50,000 person festival. And the House of Blues is confident that we're going to be okay this October. So let's save Halloween and rock and roll. Um, you can find the Endless Night uh, at, on Instagram at Endless Night VB and see all sorts of different pictures. And you can see us at Endless Night Vampire Ball on uh, Facebook. And you can interact with our crew and staff and meet Joy and everything and then we have the endless night vampire ball group on uh facebook that's our online community if you want to find me personally you can find me at father sebastian on facebook and instagram and one of the things that we also have on the store are the legacy onks and a portion of those proceeds go to do not be a monster which is a charity that we support for anti-bullying, cyberbullying, and what that company does is goes out to schools, talks to kids about what it is to be a bully and how not to be a bully. And coming from that kind of community, we definitely can really respect that and we're happy to be a part of that. 
Endless Night also supports a number of other charities that we're so happy to give back to the community and just be pillars of our community as Vampire members. Sebastian, did you have any closing statements you wanted to make? Yes, we're gonna have to do a second event of this wonderful discussion with these same guests. Part two. Part two, yes, because we have so many stories to tell about Halloween in New Orleans in 1995 and our experiences with the vampire culture at that time uh, makes us true elders at 25 years in the community. Ancients. <laughs> Ancients, yes, darlings. Yes, darling. Um, there's, we could go on for hours about what we want to talk about, about our experiences in New Orleans. These wonderful guests uh, have been really, really awesome to be with, and it's been great to kind of prepare for this podcast with you guys, kind of going over some of the stories that we talked about and hearing the new things. And also sharing it not only with Joy, but our audience. Um, thank you guys so much for coming today. And thank you again for the guests that are on the show. We are so excited to see you for our next podcast. And remember to stay safe and wash your hands. <laughs>